This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with L. Grover Fricks to traverse the topic of fasting. I sure am. I warned you ahead of time that we are going to talk about this. So now here we are, fasting. And how do you say it in Hebrew? Sum. Which makes it even more alliterative, which is apparently your primary goal. The real, you know, marker of holiness uh, is definitely by by that, how, how many alliterations you can pull off. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of conversation out there in, you know, the Christian space about different kinds of fasting. Lots of people do fasting from sugar or from Netflix or whatever, or phones and all that is great. Um, and I'm not, um, saying that it's not, I love deeply what Reed had to say about that on his episode. Uh, But I want to talk about strictly biblical fasting. How is it being used? Um, What's the point? What's the goal? What does it look like? And uh, just a couple of things before we jump into that. Um, If you are a kid or you're underweight, if you're expecting um, or breastfeeding, if you're diabetic, if you have heart conditions, if you experience body dysmorphia, you have a history of eating disorders, any of the above, please consider other ways of engaging your spiritual walk, right? Um, especially the last two things listed there um, have big potential to gum up your experience and at worst, you know, can kick off a recurrence. So we care about everybody's well-being. Um, feel free to even turn off the episode, you know, if hearing about restricted eating is going to be tricky for you. But fasting is a way of launching out into the deep. Richard Foster says, perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper, fuller living. Perhaps you have become weary of frothy experiences and shallow teaching. Every now and then you have caught glimpses, hints of something more than you have known. Inwardly, you have longed to launch out into the deep. And so uh, it's a practice that I like to talk about because I don't think it's talked about enough. Okay, I have a few questions. Sure. Is it possible that fasting was somewhat of a, like, cultural requirement almost because of the food cycles Mm. of the time versus today where we can just go to a grocery store 24 hours a day and get whatever we want for the most part. I wouldn't say because the food cycles of the time, I think it definitely occurred more often just food scarcity due to natural disasters, due to, you know, being under siege, stuff like that. And we say that come up in scripture, but not necessarily culturally. Um, It's not commanded in Torah. So all of the things we're going to talk about today are outside of Torah. And so it's possible that some of it was borrowed um, from the nearby cultures. But I would have to look that up, Brent. Thanks for the tip. But I guess what we're talking about is the assumption that food is available and we are intentionally choosing not to partake. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Jesus says, Matthew 6, when you fast keep these things in mind, right? So there's a presumption by Jesus, not just the whole Bible, but specifically to his disciples that they will be fasting. So um, that can bring up a lot of questions, right? So speaking of Jesus, he told his disciples to fast when he's not with them, right? Um, And so you can pretty easily make the argument, well, Jesus is with us now, right? (laughs) Sure, that's a great argument for me. Presence. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so technically we shouldn't fast, right? Or you might be thinking about is fasting like a hunger strike to get God to do something? That's a little weird. Is it just uh, like a mystical spiritual practice? Um, sometimes it's, it goes out of fashion for um, modern communities because we can associate fasting with like medieval ascetic practice. Paul Bettany in the one movie, you know, the scary, the scary Catholics whipping themselves and just being sad. Um, I don't know if I've seen that movie. That's very holy of you. It's the Da Vinci Code that I'm referencing. Oh yeah. No, I haven't actually seen it. Okay. I said that quiet. But now I kind of want to. <laughs> uh, now I'm curious. Oh boy. Well, you know, if you can tolerate some mild heresy, <laughs> mild being radical heresy, then uh yeah, it's it's a, it's an experience. Okay. <laughs> Other reasons fasting isn't uh very popular. We tend to believe that if we don't eat three meals a day like with regular snacks, we'll probably perish right off the face of the earth. Um <laughs> just in our like culture of abundance and consumerism and options being available to us at every possible moment multiple fridges in different rooms of the house perhaps mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh -huh. fridge dedicated to energy drinks perhaps just hypothetically <laughs> hypothetically uh isaiah 58 even tells us this is the fast that i choose you know and then um god lists off a whole bunch of like justice service care for the poor oriented um commands from him right and so it's really easy to say well that shouldn't be what we focus on uh regular actual fasting literal fasting and yet jesus fasted um for 40 days and he teaches us about fasting in two different spots um when you fast don't do it to impress other people um and so there is that presumption uh have you ever fasted brent in the technical you know definition not like fasting from your phone or whatever but food water etc i know i have briefly at times i don't have any specific memory of it the early i mean so what in my catholic era which right. was like third through sixth grade ish now i, I want to see the brent eras tour yeah <laughs> uh it's not going to sell as many tickets unfortunately um yeah during that time i was definitely aware of the idea of it and like going through Lent for the first time and fasting from specific things during that. Um, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, um, the, I was back to a non-denominational church and going to the associated school and my Bible teacher did a 40 day fast. And yep. I remember being like, Whoa, <laughs> it was pretty it seemed so intense and so like are you gonna be okay but like <laughs> i'm too young and dumb to ask that question so i was just like you know wide-eyed in amazement that yeah. somebody would do that i was like i thought you had to be you know god incarnate to do a 40-day fast but it turns out not i mean with water certainly yeah yeah but, yeah, yeah. But he yeah. yeah he made it clear he was drinking water that's I, good i'm trying to think if he had any other beverage i don't think he did i think it was only water but i i'm not yeah. totally confident i was part of a community in jerusalem who still fasts for 40 days every single year <sighs> peace in jerusalem you know kind of a big big ask so yeah. a big uh big response sure yeah but yeah i don't 
I don't have, I don't know. Fasting is one of those things where I've always been, um, I mean, I don't know. Intrigued is not necessarily the right word. I'm intrigued by speaking in tongues. I've never longed to speak in tongues. Mm. Uh, I have longed to fast in a more like committed way. And I never have. Yeah. Well, how exciting. Uh, We'll see what happens. You know, maybe you'll (laughs) leave this time being like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Or maybe you'll be excited. Uh, So as you said at the beginning of this episode, the word in Hebrew is tzum, tzum, um, and that means to cover your mouth, literally. Um, So the presumption, right, is to keep anything from going in your mouth. Uh, For uh, Jews celebrating Yom Kippur, that includes water versus like um, Muslims celebrating Ramadan, you can eat and drink after sundown. Um, so sometimes longer ones include water. I think that Jesus probably had water, um, for his 40 day fast because he's a human, you know, he took on humanity. So, um, that's the technical aspect. What do we mean when we say fasting at least no food and at very occasionally no water, but we're going to, what's the time period for Yom Kippur? Oh, uh, September. Well, I know, but like how long would that be without water? Oh, it's like 25 hours. Yeah. So. Totally doable. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily fun. (laughs) Right. But yes. Yes. Uh, Fun stories there, which I won't share at this particular time. Uh, (laughs) We're going to take a little trot through Tanakh and look at different um, spots biblically where fasting comes up. Like I said, it's not commanded in Torah. So a whole bunch of people probably like punch the air triumphantly when (laughs) I said that, my husband being one of them. Um, But... It does come up uh, pretty frequently. So we're going to look at um, a bunch of passages in relatively quick succession. And we're going to take note as we walk through what it seems like the point of the fast is. And then also whether it's a private uh, experience or a corporate experience. Write your hypothesis down now if you're, you know team science okay our first ones in the book of judges chapter 20 starting in verse 25 and don't even bother asking me what any of these passages are most of them translation were translated by me but i won't tell you which ones are not (laughs) just to keep things fun oh man yes hold your questions figure it out on your own um okay benjamin exited to call from the hills that day to slaughter an additional eighteen thousand israelites all the sons of Israel went up and all the people and came to Beit El. They wept. They repented there before Yahweh. They fasted that day until the evening. They sent up peace offerings before Yahweh. Okay. Anybody who listens to the text in us is immediately going to know which ones I translated, mostly because you'll be confused while you're reading. <laughs> yep. Which is great. Okay. So they have to kill a bunch of people. Uh, they're upset about that. They go to Bethel. They weep. They repent. They fast. They send peace offerings. What do you think the context of fasting is in this spot? Uh, well, it seems pretty uh, pretty corporate. Seems corporate. Check. And you said Benjamin. Uh, we were. I was asking about this before we started recording. Benjamin, in this case, means the tribe. Yes, not the, the tribe. one guy. Yeah. He's dead. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Some people live for a long time back then. <laughs> Are you sure he was dead? Bum, bum, bum. The real <laughs> mystery at the point of this episode unfurls now. Uh, okay. 
First uh, Samuel 7, 3, beginning in 7, 3. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, what was sorry. the point? What's the point of the fasting there? Oh, the point of the yeah, fasting? Yeah, what's the context? Uh, to slaughter people. <laughs> to slaughter? You fast in order to slaughter people? <laughs> I don't know. No, they're the repentance. They're repenting. Potentially, they're grieving. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. First Samuel 7, 3. If in all your heart you repent to God, turn from the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth, Set up your hearts toward Yahweh and worship him alone. He will rescue you from the Philistine. They gathered at Mitzpah. They drew water. They poured it out before Yahweh. They fasted that day. They said there, we have sinned to Yahweh. Samuel judged the children of Israel there. 10 out of 10. No, no, it's on the reading there, uh, <laughs> including mild typo. Uh, okay, so. That's autocorrect. That is verbal autocorrect. I was verbal doing autocorrect. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's the point of the the context of the fasting here, uh, and corporate or private? There's a lot of they. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know how corporate, but it's definitely more than an individual. Right. Yeah. The bigger context in the story is Shmuel has showed up to yell at everybody, as is his wont, um, and to do some corrective action. So, yes, he's talking to the whole B'nai Israel. And we're doing it for repentance again. Potentially, yet that is at the top. Um, repent, turn from the foreign gods, comma, set up your hearts toward Yahweh and worship him alone because he's going to rescue you. So potentially repentance, potentially part of the set up your heart and worship thing. Um, and it might all be jumbled together into one. Mm, okay. But still corporate. Yeah, I was actually thinking more of the the end where it said they fasted that day and they said, we have sinned. Oh, right. But you can't think chronologically because that's a chiasm. Well, there you go. A fun study for a different time. I'm so excited to get cracking in the first and second Samuel at some point. Like that is the like cry of my creative spirit is like, <laughs> mm, there's so much stuff in there. Okay. Okay. Second Samuel one, uh, starting in verse 12, they beat themselves. They wept. They fasted until evening over Shaul and over Yonatan, his sons, the people of God, the house of Israel and the fallen by the sword. Yep. So at the end of first Samuel, um, in our English Bibles, anyway, the division is where, um, they die. So here it's lament or grief, Corporate or private? Uh, corporate. Indeed. Okay. Second Samuel 12. Uh, verse 16. David sought the Elohim for the young man. David fasted a fast. He went in, lodged, and lay on the earth. Right. So in this section, he's had a baby who is not faring well. Um, and so he's seeking gods and fasting and laying on the ground. So what what would you say the point of fasting is in this particular spot? Grief. He hasn't died yet. We'll get there. But right now, what's the first line in verse 16? Mm. David sought the Elohim for So I guess, it, yeah, it's, it's a request. Yes, exactly. Yeah, petition. He'll get to grieving um, later. But here, so, so far we've had repentance, lament slash grief, now we have petition. Um, and this one is the first individual individual fast. Okay. Ezra 8. I called a fast there upon the river Ahava that we might humble our faces before our God to seek from him the straight journey for ourselves 
our little ones, and all our possessions. Yes. So first person, Ezra is describing the journey that they take when they're going back to the land. Um, what would you say the point of is on this one as they get ready to go on their journey? Uh, this is another petition mm -hmm. for traveling mercies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the, and it's corporate. It is. Uh, Nehemiah one, uh, also first person Nehemiah has just heard about the state of things in the land. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, cried, and mourned for days. I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Okay. This one you can kind of spin as lament or petition, right? Because he's about to be like, no, we need to fix things. Um, but he's also sad. So those things go together. And it is... Individual. Individual. Okay. Last one in Tanakh before we pop over to uh, the New Testament. But... Esther 4. Starting in 16, go gather all the Judeans who are found in Shushan. Fast over me. You will not eat and you will not drink for three days, night or day. Also, I and my young women will fast likewise. I will go to the king, which is against the edict. And if I perish, I perish. Baller. You know, I didn't really need the second verse there, but who can cut? Who can get that up? That's so good. Okay, what what's she doing here? She is asking everyone to fast mm -hmm. um, and saying, you know, we're all going to do it too. So corporate. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess petition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's hoping that she'll be able to save her whole community, right? And so that's the point. And whether she dies or not, that's not the point. She makes that clear. All right. Bopping down. We have more stuff in the New Testament. Like, bopping. Um, you know, <laughs> that's how I read scripture. Bopping through the Bible. Yeah. There's your alliteration again. With L. Um, uh, so Anna, the prophet, uh, fasts and prays in the temple individually. Paul says he expects married couples to fast together, right? Um, but here's two sections from Acts specifically. So Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene. Just delete. Oh, just, just forget thing. the marks there. Cy okay. Lucius of Cyrene. Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Shaul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So it says they're worshiping and fasting. And while they're doing that, which it doesn't say exactly why, the Holy Spirit speaks um, and names to new folks. And then they fast and pray again lay their hands on them and send them off. What do you think the context or the point is in that section? Well, uh, I'm, I'm probably, I'm way off base in my thoughts here. I'm thinking about like worshiping and fasting. So is fasting mm. not intended to be a form of worship? Sometimes so we take, this as a whole different podcast. Sometimes we take the word worship and translate it and it's not really helpful to translate it that way. So in Tanakh, the word that really just means bow, we translate as worship all the time. And then we change it back to bow when it says like Avraham 
you know, if you were consistent, worshipped Avi Melech. And we're like, oh, no, no, back to the original translation. So in the Greek, I'd have to go check what word that actually is. But I did not translate this because my Greek is not as good. Um, so I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, that is and like, I, it is so difficult for me to see the, or hear the word worship and not think of music. Yeah. So, right. uh, yeah, lots All of, of life is worship, Brent. Lots of contextual Repent. baggage there probably. Um, okay. They so, turned off the dry ice, put down their electric guitars and started fasting. <laughs> oh, dry the, ice. The PowerPoint of lyrics went dark. So the church, blah, 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 prophets, teachers. So they are... They're setting, I mean, the Holy Spirit said set apart these people. So they're like, I don't know. I don't know what you call this. They're like putting a seal on it or something. (laughs) Double checking, perhaps. Yeah. 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 So it's in the context of worship, right? Even if it's not the same, um, same as worship. But so at least that's in general what's happening, right? It's not somebody's funeral necessarily. They gather together, they start worship, they start fasting, and the Holy Spirit speaks. Um, And then maybe they're fasting in a petition-wise over like the well-being and success of Barnabas and Shoal. That would be a guess. But yes, we technically do have two different ones. But individual or corporate? Corporate. Corporate. All right. Last one. Acts 14. Just turning maybe two pages in your book. Okay. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Okay, first I went and checked. It says ministered to the Lord for worship for the last one. Okay. okay. So there you go. Not what we think of worship. Okay, what's happening here? Similar, right? Yeah, so uh, in this case... um, there's no Holy Spirit situation going on. It says when they had appointed elders for them. Um, Maybe in partnership with the Holy Spirit, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, almost certainly, but it's it's not specifically mentioned. Um, so that's maybe interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, when they had appointed elders, so I guess, you know, yeah. similar to the last passage, they had set them apart. Then after... They laid their hands and sent them off. In this case, when they had appointed elders with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. Uh, maybe a slightly different situation going on there. I don't know. Yeah, I'd guess in chapter 13, they're hanging out and the Holy Spirit uh, interrupts, as it were, and gives something that they might not have been expecting. And then here, they're looking to appoint elders specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to commit them to the Lord, I would presume. So what would you call the point slash context of this fast? Uh, this is like another like confirmation, like let's stop and make sure that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, type situation. Okay, so most of the settings here as we look back over those verses are mostly corporate, but sometimes individual which in our culture, we love to flip that around, right? (laughs) One time occasionally we'll gather for corporate worship, you know, not very often for some of us, every week for others of us. Seven to two corporate. 
Right, right. So most of the time we're supposed to do things in community. And then also through this narrative, we see that sometimes whatever you're wrestling through is something that not everybody else shares in. Um, And there's a leadership aspect to that as well. I like to point out, Um, you know, Nehemiah is kind of on his own. David is certainly leading. Anyway, that's a separate set of observations, but our different contexts are different reasons for fasting include repentance, grief, setting your heart toward Yahweh, petitioning part of our regular worship, it seems like. And we see this through line continue post uh, post biblical era. We, it's in the Didache. So that our early document, which describes kind of rule of life, rule of community for the early Christians, a really helpful document to have around. Um, very interesting to read the whole thing. But it includes a practice of fasting regularly. We have records of um, the early church fathers and mothers, saints like Basil. Basil's got a great line about like fasting is for the strong and it befits heroes and all sorts of good stuff. And, you know, going through time all the way to our more modern era, Wesley pretty famously um, reinstituted a practice of um, fasting in his communities that he set up in what's now the Methodist church. Um, and then of course the Jewish community has been fasting the whole time. There are uh, a whole bunch of fasts throughout the year that are part of Minhag, part of customs um, to do with mourning, the destruction of the temple. Some people do the Esther fast. There's like a fast of the firstborn in commemoration of the Exodus. There's a whole set along with the Yom Kippur, um, which is, prescribed in Torah. So earlier when I said it's not prescribed in Torah, I meant in a spiritual practice setting, not a um, holiday setting. Mm. Um, And yeah, it's still, it pops up very occasionally. um, And at least the American church, especially on evangelical side, it's kind of mentioned usually around Lent, but not a lot of people um, that I know I have to get into a more really engaged community. Like I said, I was part of a church community who got together at 5.30 a.m. for worship music every morning and then fasted together for those 40 days every year. So why, right? We have the context there. We have the general um, idea of different um, settings in which we might fast. Um, But what are we trying to accomplish when we fast? Um, and I've got a, a list of things that we're doing here, right? Earlier we talked about, are we just going on hunger strike? Are we like, you know, putting to death something in us? How Puritan are we, are we vibing here? Yeah. Okay. Um, so why, why are we fasting? What does it accomplish? Jesus says that it's for God in Matthew six. Um, it's like a declaration of your closeness, uh, a kind of, I don't want to eat until I get to see your face thing. And he's saying that in contrast to the way that people were fasting, right? He's saying, when you fast, don't, you know, besmirch your face with sadness, which still kind of applies in our practical list here. The point in this contact is setting up your heart toward him. So Galatians 6, 8, whatever you sow, you will also reap. Whoever sows in the flesh will reap decay, but the one who sows in the spirit reaps eternal life. So it's a very concrete way to develop your spiritual life, right? Prayer can feel more abstract and nebulous for some of us, um, partially because it 
can take place in th- entirely in your thought life if you're not a prayer beads or a prayer journal type person. Fasting is very real and concrete, right? <laughs> you will feel in a very embodied way the fact that you are fasting. Um, and it's this kind of approach that um, I might suggest we're seeing Jesus take in the wilderness before he starts his ministry, right? Maybe it's kind of in the petition arena about the success of his ministry or his ab- ability to be faithful or however you want to frame that. Um, but it could have also been because Jesus is Jesus, um, just a declaration of his closeness to God, sowing into... He, eternal life, right? Um, So that his ministry might reap goodness for all of his people. So that's one way to approach fasting. A second way to approach fasting or what what will this accomplish for me and within me um, will pop up very quickly for many of us. Uh, Fasting has a unique ability to reveal what controls us, right? Um, Many of us, even if we miss a single meal or that meal gets delayed, we can get more emotional or more likely to be angry. Um, And so fasting illuminates that, right? Um, With humility brings in, oh, I'm getting angry about very little, silly, small things. Um, And now I'm freed because I have that awareness to deal with the spirit of entitlement that I might have. Um, Tolstoy says everyone thinks of changing humanity, but no one thinks of changing themselves. So the purpose of this approach would be I'm going to turn aside from the methods and goals of empire, right? Um, And rather than saying I'm going to become great by just like collecting my accolades, taking my protein powder or whatever, I'm going to fast. So rather than saying yes to the narratives that I need to earn more in order to have more or buy more or relax more or vacation more or, you know, whatever narrative really gets its hooks in our soul, we say yes to achieving um, our goals subversively upside down like Jesus. So fasting is saying no to the narratives that um, I need to numb out in order to survive um, via food, or I need more to consume more in order to be able to thrive um, and reveals that that's not really the case. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I like it. Great. Saw you nodding during the uh, more emotional and more likely to be angry part. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly with myself, but like with my kids, it's amazing. Like they have no idea, but yeah. it's like, dude, I know you're hungry right now. Right. <laughs> what what you're doing is entirely explained by the fact that you have not eaten dinner yet. Right. You're flopping around on the floor saying you don't want to eat anything, but yeah. yeah. How often is that like us with God, by the way, of him being like, if you could just do this one thing that I've been telling you to do, you'd feel a lot better. And we're like, no, Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. actually you just don't understand okay <laughs> anyway third approach to fasting third um way of thinking about what it accomplishes um i like this one because uh it feels kind of baller and it's historical um so our culture modern american culture um comes from our Protestant propaganda roots, right? I said we never get far away from the Puritans. And they had a lot of, uh, again, propaganda about the original Catholic orders. Um, And that's why we have movies like uh, The Da Vinci Code of Paul Bettany, you know, just 
absolutely being nasty to himself. Um, uh, and they they spread that propaganda around the idea that they did all that because they just hate themselves so much that they thought they needed to be punished sadistically rather than experiencing, you know, justification by faith alone and usual things that Puritan Protestants are excited about for good reason. So while those original Catholic orders of monks might have had just about the same amount of self-loathing as the rest of the us today, um, they were originally built and put together, um, and this is revealed in their etymology of the name of those orders, um, uh, around the idea of Roman special forces, which is pretty fun. Um, so they viewed themselves by entering this order because they weren't trying to get everybody to become a Franciscan or a Dominican or whatever. They viewed being part of that order as a special role, a special calling, a set of skills specifically against uh, the forces of darkness and Satan, which is kind of fun um, way to think about your life and your spiritual practices. You know, it's not just like, oh, I'm doing this to work on my integrity and my relationship with God and character and everything, but actively taking that framework. Um, and it wasn't just internal. They also did a lot of external things that we also like to forget from history. Um, they educated the public. They provided a safe haven for those accused of crimes. They provided free medical care for sick people, all sorts of great stuff, you know, although mostly they're famous now for like making wine and, you know, some good Trappist stuff that you can pick up at farmers markets and stuff. <laughs> Um, but for them, all of that that they were doing, including fasting, they viewed as um, physical and spiritual discipline for training in battle. Mm. So how to make this practical, this big, like, you know, beefy idea. Uh, if you're a person who has a really hard time with your mood when you're hungry, the call toward fasting from this historical perspective is like join the special forces and give no alliance with Satan <laughs> fast and become an expert at being hungry and still, you know, remaining pleasant to be around or still having um, an upright character, right? Practice mm -hmm. makes us better, even if not um, perfect. Um, and that's helpful, you know, as we try to grow in maturity, whether or not we bring in the spiritual warfare type um, timbre to the whole experience. It's real that there's lots of times in our life where we'll be uncomfortable or flight gets delayed, um, you know, a million things that can happen in our world that if we're kind of living in this comfort space of I eat whenever I want to all the time and take care of all these things, it can be a lot harder to have good self-regulation and good self-control, one of the fruits of the spirit, right, in those situations if all the time we just live in our happy little cocoon of resources that um, many of us have from being born in the part of the world that we are born in. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, I think a lot of what has, like, a lot of our models of fasting are people from entirely different eras mm -hmm. and different, like, just the way the world works has changed so much in the last 100 years. Yeah. And so, how do we think about these topics? In a lot of ways, it's just the same as it always was. But so much has changed in like just the practicalities of how you engage this and what kind of communities you live in and so many things like how do we, how do we translate those experiences that we see from, you know, the last thousands of years 
mm-hmm. versus the last hundred years. Is there a specific thing you're thinking about as being really different? I don't know. Just the just our, our awareness of mental health concerns, our awareness of mm-hmm. nutrition, our awareness of like just so many different our our I mean, there's still I don't know. There's there's still so much war in so many ways, but it's like there's there hasn't been a world war in a while. A little bit of time. I mean, yeah, it's the grand historical scope is pretty recently. That's but. true. Yeah. But I'm just thinking like that was that was the norm. Like like the, my in my lifetime, the world is relatively stable. So the types of things that these people were seeing pretty frequently throughout their life that makes them engaged in these different practices. It's not just war. Like it's all, you mentioned the group that like is preparing themselves for battle, but Mm -hmm. like, there's just so many different, different factors to consider to like, okay, these guys were doing it this way, but does that work? Like if I did that exact same practice, would that work Mm. in my situation? Right. Well, I think, it generates similar things and maybe even more underlined or highlighted if our American culture, and I know we have lots of listeners not in America, but it's my context, so forgive me. It's 90%. Okay, cool. Thrives on consumption. We thrive on consumption, right? This kind of corrective spiritual practice is an additional antidote to our comfort addicted world we imbibe every day, right? And there is some, like, we have to be careful about our presentism and our primitivism whenever we think about folks in the past, you know, it totally depends on where you're born and in what era. Like there were lots of generations um, that were born in Egypt or um, the Greco-Roman world in which, you know, there was a pretty chill Caesar at that time. And there weren't that many like raiding barbarians. There are other generations that have lots of that on the horizon of turnover and, you know, the Huns uh, or whoever showing up and causing cause chaos in communities and some rampant murder Viking style, but that wasn't always and in all locations and all eras. But I think we see in the text, which also in Tanakh, you know, there's eras in which things were relatively peaceful and eras when it wasn't. And we see people engaging in fasting throughout those different times. Right. And so I think it's probably a helpful practice at every time, or else God wouldn't have commanded it um, to happen every year for Yom Kippur. But it might hit differently depending on your context, right? Just like other spiritual disciplines can feel different. Okay, so yeah, those are kind of the two approaches. Um, it's for God, it's sowing, um, and the spirit to reap eternal life. You know, we want to create space to hear the voice of God speaking to us. Um, so it's a radical way to position ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit in ways that we haven't for quite some time, right? Thinking about like they're just fasting and praying and God tells them to set apart or make holy Barnabas and Shaul, right? And then the other approach is this is training, just like we go to the gym, just like we try to, you know, eat certain things, just like we're training ourselves to grow in knowledge, right, through listening to podcasts and consuming books and sermons and all of that good stuff. It's also a kind of training that makes us more impervious to the enemy or more impervious to the uh, addiction of comfort and ease that so many of us dwell in on a daily basis. 
So we talked about the places we see fasting come up in scripture and reasons and contexts that folks might engage in fasting, repentance, petition, grief, lament, preparing our hearts for God, creating space for the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about two ways to think about what that fasting is doing in us, Um, preparing room for God, sowing, or approaching it from a training mindset, right? Whether that's just about spiritual warfare or it's just about um, self-discipline and self-control, right? Okay. So I think, I think where, where my mind is kind of dwelling right now is I don't even understand, like, should I be fasting? Is this, am I like, am I in sin by not fasting? And I I think, I think that's maybe a variable answer. Like as we gave the disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, like there's some groups of people who absolutely should not be fasting based on various situations. But for me, like assuming that I am able to otherwise, is this something that I should be doing? Like, is this, does this rise to the level of Bible reading and prayer? (laughs) I mean, I don't think so, but. Also, I don't know. It seems like there's, it's been such a, such a widely practiced thing throughout history. And it's not even like, as you said, it's not in, it's not commanded in Torah in like a, in a spiritual practice sort of way, Hmm. but everybody does it. So through the story, well, a couple of things. So in Torah, they don't command spiritual disciplines like we would find convenient for them to do, right? They don't say, by the way, pray and read your Bible. Yeah, right. <laughs> they say... Not a lot of, send a lot up of books a, on the shelf for those people. Right. They say, send up a burnt offering, right? So there are different contexts that are being dealt with there. Um, I would still say if you're going to do a ranking, right, that we um, find a lot more prayers than we find fasts in... Mm-hmm. scripture um bible reading of course is tricky to say because you know it didn't exist at different eras and it, the, it is the thing it is the thing right so there's that but i would say that we should pursue this um as part of the rich banquet of spiritual disciplines at probably the same ranking of importance if not more if we're going to make a ranking as silence and solitude because we do see Jesus do silence and solitude throughout his ministry with fair regularity, right? But we do also see him set aside a big chunk of time for fasting. And many of us love uh, to talk to talk about um, silence and solitude and how important that is to like turn everything off and get away from everything. Like that's poor. Wow. My words are not coming out properly. That's more part of the milieu um, when we talk about spiritual disciplines and this one, um, is tricky and inconvenient and taxing. And so it's part of my personality. I know whenever I sense that I want to push against it. Um, and so I think that it's best to have some, you know, prayer and meditation before undertaking a fast and not just being like, 
oh no, I should have been doing this. Oops. Um, certainly the point of this episode is not to throw anybody into condemnation for ignoring something that's in scripture. And yet the point of this Shabbat um, themed session or season um, in the Bema space is thinking about how can we make more space? How can we carve out more time? How can we experience rest? How can we experience closeness with God that's not just like geared up to max RPMs on our, uh, you know, intellectual thing? And so I think as part of becoming a well-rounded person, um, spiritually, a person who's mature in our spiritual disciplines and, you know, bearing fruits of the spirit, which includes self-control, right? I would say that it should be part of our menu that we should utilize occasionally. But are you in sin in this very moment for not? Yes, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think I just feel really uncomfortable about it because I have so little actual experience and I've never I've never been a part of a community that fasts together. Right. In, I mean, I guess you could count Lent maybe. But that's for the youth groups to like shut them in the gym for a lock-in <laughs> and like suffer and then tell them about Africa when it's over. Right? Oh my gosh. That's the, that's the usual thing rather than part of the life of an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, that is on our, like what, how are we supposed to do something that we've never seen modeled, right? Um, and so maybe we'll become a generation of people who model how to do this healthily and appropriately um, and enjoy the benefits of doing that. And um, our kids will be the ones to take up something that is biblical and has been um, reaping benefits and bringing people closer to God for thousands of years across the globe, by the way, like all the major religions fast, um, except for evangelicals. (laughs) That's a subset of a major religion. Maybe you think it's its own religion. You call it. I'm being facetious because I think it's funny. (laughs) Uh, Yep. Well, uh, I didn't identify as, uh, I didn't identify as an evangelical growing up. I was just like Christians and Catholics. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. And Catholics definitely aren't. Oh boy. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, man, my, my idea of religion growing up is probably a topic for another podcast, I guess. Yeah. Separate episode. That's part of the Brent Aris tour. <laughs> I look Jeez. forward to that. I want a soundtrack. Okay. Uh, So if you are feeling like, oh man, this is part of the rich fabric of our Christian tradition. Oh man, this has been something I've never really thought about or have seen displayed or modeled for me. Oh, I am interested in this. Here are some super practical um, things to think about, ways of approaching how-to tips. Um. Because, you know, you have to be careful, just in general. Uh, So especially if you take prescription medications, um, you might check with your doctor before embarking on anything longer than like 48 hours. Um, And that's because your dosages might need to be adjusted. I know not everybody has easy access to quick and responsive medical care. Um, So that can be tricky for some people. But just be aware if you're like, oh, man, here we go. Let's start tomorrow a week. Um, that you might uh, slow slow the roll a little bit there. 
Um, really common advice is dial down your food beforehand and afterward. So like the very human thing is being like, I'm about to fast for three days. Time to have some milkshakes yeah. and burgers. <laughs> Um, that won't be very enjoyable. Um, it might be tricky on your GI tract, right? So you want some protein, healthy fats and fiber before you start, um, because your body's going to be pulling on all of that for however long you're fasting. And then you want to come off a fast with fruits and vegetables. I think like when I was 17, I did do the milkshake after thing and I lived. It was okay. Uh, but not necessarily recommended. Sure. Um, if you've never fasted before, one way in to get going is starting with non-clear liquids. So like miso soup, maybe a smoothie. You still get your coffee that way. Um, and you can even start off a fast. Say if you're going to do like a week, you can start off with those things. And then the next two or three days, if you're easing into stuff, doing clear liquid so only black coffee um only broth for the salts and electrolytes and everything and then go for nothing with water um, i've never done a no water fast um other things to be aware of i'd cut back on your caffeine intake um whatever kind of caffeine intake you'll experience um in my experience anyway a lot more energy uh and so adding that caffeine to your heart can be not a great idea. Um, lots of people wonder if they can still do exercise and that depends on their fitness level. So in the past, I would like to go on nice long hikes or runs on day five or six of a fast. Your body is capable of so much more than you realize. Um, but at this stage and how I'm doing generally, I'd probably stick to like yoga or something if I was going to do a whole week long fast. Um, for some people, they're taking medications in the, that are supposed to be with food. So you can make some kind of alteration to do one light thing in the morning, you know, like oatmeal or something um, with your prescriptions, um, because we're not suggesting that people stop taking their prescription medication. Another way of getting into things, if you haven't done it before, start with a 24-hour fast. Um, I did this for a couple of Lents. You start at like 5.30 p.m. whenever you usually eat dinner on Thursday, and then you fast after that. So don't eat anything after that time, and then you break it for Shabbat dinner on Friday. That's kind of fun because you get to experience the joy of Shabbat a lot more tangibly. You also don't really need to worry about like coming back with fruits and vegetables if you're only at 24 hours. That's more if you're over um, a three-day line. Lots of people like to do three-day fast. For me, that's really tricky because in my experience, it's the third day that your body stops like suggesting foods to try during the day and gets kind of into a groove and it's okay. Um, so I like going a little bit longer than that so you get to experience that stage. Um, and just being super practical, uh, one of the things that you'll read that I disagree with about um, the goodness of fasting is people talk about you have more time to do spiritual disciplines. I don't know about everybody else, but like I can do spiritual disciplines perfectly well while eating and preparing food. It doesn't take away that much time from my life. Um, and then also it can be harder, especially at the beginning, because your brain's like mac and cheese while you're trying to think about other stuff, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> just continually suggesting foods. 
Um, and so I and other people have found it helpful um, just if you use the notes app on your phone or you have, you know, a piece of paper or whatever, just write down whatever your body's yelling at you that you should really eat right now. Um, and that's kind of a way of acknowledging your brain being like, I hear you. You would like some food right now. You're used to having food. I'll write down your suggestion. And then I found my brain usually stops screaming at me um, about Nutella or whatever. Um, <laughs> what I do that because I can tell myself, you know what, after the fast is over, I can go back and look at this list and take whatever I want from it. You usually don't actually end up doing that because um, cravings are a short term affair. But anyway, um, as we saw in the text, still moving through these practical um, uh, strategies, community is way better to do fasting in. Um, if you're a Bema discussion group, you could fast together. Um, if you have a Bible study or a church group, whatever, you can um, explore, read more um, about fasting in community or even in your family. It's a lot easier, not just because of the accountability, but there's a shared experience. You know, shared suffering brings people together, and that can be a really positive thing. Um, not just for somebody being like, are you about to eat that, you know, something you slipped into your back pocket more than that. Um, in terms of staying on track, um, I would suggest picking times that are meaningful to you. So, um, if you are not coming with a specific petition or a specific request or repentance, which is a lot easier to stick to, right? If you are fasting in the name of a particular issue that you need breakthrough in, it's a lot easier to stick to um, because you're compelled on a spiritual level. If you're just engaging with fasting because you want to try out a new spiritual discipline and you thought it sounded interesting, um, then I'd still suggest picking a time like before um, the new year or before your birthday or before you start a new job so that there's still some kind of intrinsic motivational. I am fasting because I want um, to hear from the spirit of God before I engage in X or I am fasting as part of a petition that I would be able to serve well in this new role that I'm filling. Right. That's a lot easier than being like, yeah, let's try it out sounds good and then the next day when you're really hungry it doesn't sound good anymore yeah right <laughs> intrinsic motivation um just know that you're so much more capable of than what you think um when we live in that if i miss a meal i'll perish state um which is the case for some people with medical conditions or who are undernourished yes but that's not everybody um just know that it's totally possible people all over the world are fasting regularly. Um, you know, like uh, the Muslim community um, fasts for a whole month together um, and they only eat in, in the evenings. Um, it's also good for you. It extends your life. I don't want that to be the focus, but if you are worried about like health concerns, I've provided a link to Brent that has a whole bunch of studies specifically about more time restricted eating than like a seven day fast, but, um, there's less science on that, but the principles still apply. You can read about that, but I would so not encourage people to try to, mesh physical goals like weight loss with spiritual goals because you're going to feel guilty about that like immediately mm -hmm. you know if you're like i'm doing this for the lord and 
for my pan size. This is the intermittent fasting 101 link. Yes, that's that link. Yes. And that just has a bunch of hyperlinks to um, studies that talk about ways that fasting is good for you. Um, but if you like try to enter the space of I'm doing this to prepare my heart or turn my heart toward God, but then you have that lingering in the back of your head, like, and going to look great before that, whatever, um, that's mm-hmm. going to wreck your conscience the whole time. So don't even start. Yep. Uh, also, it's not really a great weight loss mechanism because you'll just go back to eating whatever you were before the fast. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Throwing that out there. But most important thing, that was a lot of practical stuff. Um, When you are tempted uh, to break your fast before you have decided that you're going to break your fast, pray, right? The whole point is to see how God shows up, right? Especially if you're taking the non-spiritual warfare approach. Um, Pick a prayer to utilize every time you're tempted, if you're not a really spontaneous prayer person, um, to really ground yourself. This is why I'm doing this fast. I have a good reason, whether that's repentance or a petition or um, preparing your heart or turning your heart for God. This is a specific thing that I'm doing for that reason. Um, And wait and see how God shows up, but actually create the space to do that. Um, Because if we say, uh, you know, I'm creating more space for God and then we're doing a thing, but we never stop and like give a chance, open our Bibles, see what he's saying to us. um, You know, you're missing out on the ability to have a productive fast. So I'd always pair the fast with a specific time for meditation, for Bible reading. I wouldn't just kind of careen through my life without also setting that time aside to make sure that it's um, doing the things and growing you in a way that you're hoping to, not just getting more self-control and self-discipline, right? That's not the entirety of the goal. We want to always have a practice of stopping listening for God speaking, but especially try to make sure you do that during your fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to consider... If I have a time coming up when it would be good to try this. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know yet. So, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. It's helpful if you pick times that aren't like with big family events or big work events. Um, But once you're more of an expert, you can, you know, do that. And it's not that big of a deal. Well, and I like the idea of like, okay, what if I did it for 24 hours? Yeah. Like it's much easier to find a 24 hour period than a three day or a seven day or a 40 day. Right. Which is, I don't, I'm not sure I'm ever, I don't know if I'm ever going to do more than 24 hours. <laughs> 40 sounds know. wildly ambitious, but who knows? You never know. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing all of this <laughs> with say me. dubiously, and with... <laughs> thanks for sharing. Oh. Yes. This is, you know, one of those, one of those topics where it's like, well, I am technically glad to know this, but it feels, <laughs> it feels so much more uncomfortable. <laughs> Uh, this topic has never felt comfortable for me, Elle. So I, I guess nothing new. That makes sense in our culture and society. Yep. Checks out. Okay. Well, all of you listeners can go to baymondeceptionship.com. We've got the show notes there. Uh, we'll have at least a couple of links and maybe a few extras if I can 
uh, pull some resources together. But at least a couple there, and you can go to the contact page to get in touch with us, check out the events, check out groups, get involved with a group. If this is something you want to engage with and you don't have a group that you are a part of, find a Baymaw group near you or start one. And, you know, it's probably not going to be like, oh, we're going to start fasting this week, but, it, you know, find that community that can um, engage in these things together because, as we saw, this is more of a community thing it seems most of the time in spite of our western individualistic tendencies indeed all right well thanks for joining us on the baywell podcast we will talk to you all again soon